Book Three, Chapter Four of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book Three, Chapter Four. Hoyden. This very morning, my lord told me I should have two hundred a year to buy pins. Now, nurse, if he gives me two hundred a year to buy pins, what do you think he'll give me to buy fine petticoats? Nurse. Oh, my dearest, he deceives thee foully, and he's no better than a rogue for his pains. These Londoners have got a gibberish with them would confound a gypsy. That which they call pin-money is to buy their wives everything in the varsal world, down to their very shoe-ties. Unbounded was the rapture of Mrs. Chevenix when she received the unlooked-for tidings of Elizabeth's engagement. She wrote at once, urging that the wedding should take place in London. "'Oh, it will be just the height of the season,' she said, "'and everybody in town. Gertrude, Di, and Blanche can come up with you. I will stretch a point and find rooms for all of you. You couldn't possibly be married from that footy little house in the Boroughbridge Road.' and there will be your trousseau you know dear a most serious question for of course everything must be in the highest style and i really doubt whether cerise whose real name by the by i have lately discovered to be jones is quite up to the mark for this occasion she suits me very well but i have lately discovered a want of originality in her style so i think the better way would be to order your superior dinner and evening dresses from paris and give cerise only the secondary ones believe me my dear child i shall not shrink from expense but we will not fall into that foolish trick of ordering more dresses than you could wear in six months ignoring the almost hourly changes of fashion as lord paulyn's wife you will of course have unlimited means by the way as you have really no responsible male relative the arrangement of settlements will devolve upon me my lawyers messrs pringle and scrupress are well up in that kind of work and will i am sure protect your interest as carefully as if you were the daughter of their oldest and most important client this subject thus mooted for the first time in mrs chevenix's letter was destined to cause a good deal of argument and unpleasantness between aunt and niece i will have no settlement said elizabeth resolutely i take nothing to him except sixty or seventy pounds a year and he shall not be asked to settle ever so many hundreds upon me i will not quite sell myself of course he will give me fine dresses and all i can want to make a brilliant figure in his own world he has been patient enough and devoted enough for me to trust my interest to him it stands to reason that i shall always have as much money as i can spend he is overflowing with riches and as his wife i shall have a right to my share of them but i will not allow any one to ask him to name the price that he is willing to give for me it shall not be quite a matter of buying and selling 
very high-flown notions and worthy of the most self-willed unreasonable young woman that ever lived exclaimed mrs chevenix in a rage but i suppose you would hardly wish your children to starve you will not object to their interests being provided for by people who know a little more about life than you do self-opinionated as you may be my children said elizabeth turning very pale could there be children the very sanctification and justification of marriage for her and for reginald paulyn who in marriage sought only the gratification of their own selfish and sordid desires my children i can hardly fancy that i shall ever hear a voice call me mother i seem so unfit to have little children loving me and trusting in me in their blind childish way she added dreamily and then with a more practical air oh, do what you please to protect their interest auntie in case lord paulyn should gamble away all his wealth on the race-course but remember for me myself not a penny nor was this an idle protest she took care to give the family solicitors the same injunctions and as lord paulyn was not a man to insist on extreme generosity in the preliminary arrangements of his marriage he did not dispute her will so certain estates were settled upon such younger sons as elizabeth might hereafter bring to her husband and certain smaller properties were charged with the maintenance of daughters but the wife herself was left subject to the husband's liberality mrs chevenix shook her head ominously was there ever anything so foolish and after what we've seen of that old woman too she added with somewhat disrespectful mention of her niece's future mother-in-law their knowledge of the dowager was certainly not calculated to inspire any exalted hope of the son's generosity yet in that foolish period which went before his marriage reginald paulyn showed himself lavish in the gifts which he showered upon his mistress did she but frown he propitiated her with an emerald bracelet was she angry with him without reason she had her reward in a triplet of rings red and white and green like the italian flag the paulyn diamonds which had lain perdue since the dowager's last appearance at court were dug out of the bank and sent to be reset at a famous west end jeweller's elizabeth beheld their far-darting rays with dazzled eyes and a mind that was almost bewildered by this fulfilment of all her childish dreams it was like the story of cinderella nor does one know by any means that cinderella cared very much about the prince the old fairy tale is hardly a love story but rather a romance of horses and carriages and otherworldly splendour and swift transition from a kitchen to a palace after all it was perhaps very lucky that mr ford jilted me elizabeth thought in her worldly-minded moments when she was taken to look at the carriages which lord paulyn had chosen for her the graceful shell-shaped barouche the dainty brougham with innumerable patent inventions for the comfort of its occupants there had been no paulyn town-house since the reign of george the third when reginald's grandfather had inhabited a gaunt and dismal mansion out manchester square way the freehold of which had been settled upon a younger son and had in due course been forwarded to a money-lender the dowager in her day had preferred living in furnished lodgings during her residences in the capital so elizabeth had the delight of choosing an abode at the west end 
and finally after exploring all the more fashionable quarters selected a corner house in park lane all balconies and verandas with a certain pleasing rusticity you must build me a huge conservatory on the top of that hideous pile of stabling and kitchens at the back she said to her lover to whom she issued her orders somewhat unceremoniously at this period of their lives and i must have a fernery or two somewhere the selection of furniture for this balconied abode was an agreeable amusement for miss luttrell's mornings during the few weeks she spent in eaton place and was not without its effect upon the balance that lord paulyn kept at his bank which was an unusually small one for so wealthy a customer the young lady showed a marvellous appreciation of the beautiful in art and an aristocratic contempt for all questions of cost she had her pet forms and colours her caprices upon every subject the gratification whereof was apt to be expensive she's like lady teasel by jove grumbled the viscount opening his heart to a friend in the smoking-room of his favourite club after a long morning at calico's the crack-up holsterer spends a fellow's money like water by jove i feel sometimes inclined to growl like the old buffer in the play oh, sure to be so said his friend if a fellow marries a poor man's daughter they always make the money fly like old boots haven't been used to it and like to see it spin just like a child that spins a sovereign on the table if she were to go on always like this she'd be the ruin of me murmured reginald ruefully oh but of course it's only a spurt and if she were inclined to do it by and by i shouldn't let her well, of course not you'll be able to put a stiffish curb when once she's in harness this capacity for extravagance exhibited by his future wife gave lord paulyn's subject for some serious thought even that refusal of a settlement which at the first glance seemed so generous an impulse upon the part of elizabeth now assumed an alarming aspect might she not have refused any stated pin-money simply because she intended to put no limit upon her expenditure she meant to range at will over the whole extent of his pastures not to be relegated to an allotted acreage however liberal she meant in fact to do her best to ruin him but that's a matter which will easily adjust itself after we're married he said to himself shaking off the sense of wild alarm which for some moments had possessed him i won't have my income made ducks and drakes of even to please the handsomest woman in europe a town-house once bought and furnished is bought and furnished for our lifetime and for our children and grandchildren after us so a little extravagance in that line can't do much harm and as to milliners and all that kind of thing i shall let her know as soon as possible that if her bills go beyond a certain figure she and i will quarrel and so with a little judicious management i dare say i shall soon establish matters on a comfortable footing so for these few weeks her last of liberty lord paulyn suffered his betrothed to have her own way to have her fling as he called it himself whatever her eyes desired as she roved at large in calico's treasure chambers was instantly booked against her future lord the rarest sevres the most exquisitely carved ebony cabinets inlaid with plaques of choice old wedgwood 
easy chairs and sofas in which the designer's imagination had run riot fairy-like coffee-tables inimitable what-nots bedroom furniture in the ecclesiastical gothic style unpolished oak with antique brazen clamps and plates a furniture that might have been made for mary stuart only that it was much handsomer than anything ever provided for that hapless lady's accommodation as witness the rickety old oaken bedstead at holyrood and king james's baby basket carpets from elizabeth's own designs where all the fairy ferns and wild flowers that flourish in devonian woods bestrewed a ground of russet velvet pile of such mere sensuous pleasure the rapture of choosing pretty things for her own possession elizabeth had enough in the days before her marriage she was almost grateful to the man whose purse provided these delights perhaps if she could have quite put malcolm ford out of her thoughts exiled his image from her mind for ever and ever she might have been actually grateful and even happy in the realisation of her pet daydream she had asked after her old friends of the rancho when she first came to london but found that hospitable mansion had disappeared like aladdin's palace when the emperor of china looked out of the window and beheld only empty space where his parvenu son-in-law's residence had stood the sink mars had been ruined somehow no one at any rate not any one in mrs chevenix's circle seemed to understand how mr sink mars had been bankrupt his name in the paper as journalist stockbroker theatrical manager wine merchant goodness knows what and the rancho estate had been sold by auction the house pulled down the umbrageous groves on the landward side ravaged by the axe the ground cut up into shabby little roads of semi-detached villas leading to nowhere the lawn and terrace by the river had been preserved and was still in the market at a fabulous price and what became of mr and mrs cinqmars asked elizabeth sorry for people who had been kind to her and surprised to find every one more interested in the fate of the domain than in its late tenants mrs chevenix shrugged her shoulders oh, goodness knows i have heard they went to america or that they're living in a cheap quarter of paris mr cinqmars speculating on the bourse that they're in italy mrs cinqmars studying for the operatic stage there are ever so many different stories afloat about them but i have never troubled myself to consider which of the reports is most likely to be correct you know they were never friends of my own choosing it was lord paulyn's whim that we should know them oh but they were very kind and hospitable auntie yes they had their own views no doubt however their interest was not in elizabeth luttrell but in the future lady paulyn the best thing you can do lizzie is to forget that you ever knew them this was not a very difficult achievement for elizabeth whose thoughts rarely roamed beyond the focus of self except in one solitary instance upon the details of elizabeth's wedding it is needless to dwell she was not married before the derby day anxious as lord paulyn had been to anticipate that great british festival but early in the flowery month of june when the roses were just beginning to blow in the poor old vicarage garden as elizabeth thought with a sudden pang when she saw the exotics that decked her wedding breakfast the marriage was as other marriages duly recorded in fashionable newspapers 
and mrs chevenix took care that etiquette should not be outraged by the neglect of the minutest detail by so much as a quarter of an inch on the wrong side in the depth of the bride's honnet and flounces or a hackneyed dish among the entrees at the breakfast so these two were made one and went off together in the conventional carriage and four from eton place to paddington station en route for the malvern hills where they were to moon away a fortnight as best they might and then come back to town in time for ascot races and now these chapters being purely retrospective comes the autumn of the fifth year after mr ford's farewell to hawley End of Book 3, Chapter 4